We continue to walk through and celebrate this Advent season of Christ coming, living, dying. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. How are we to walk humbly with God? The past two weeks have we've looked at what it means for the church to walk in hope and peace. Two weeks ago, we, we, as we talked about hope, we learned what we believe about life, the finality of death, and the purpose of suffering determines our hope. Therefore, Christians should not lose heart because we know that there is an eternal glory that awaits us. So why or how are we to walk in and live out this steadfast hope that can only come through Jesus? Last week we learned that we are able to walk in peace with God and each other only through the reconciliation achieved by the sacrificial death and atoning blood of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. In Christ, we are no longer separated, we are no longer alienated, we are no longer stranger, hopeless, and godless. We are brought near, we belong, we are made family, we have an eternal hope. We have God as our Father. Jesus in His life, death, and resurrection made peace for us. Vertical peace with God and horizontal peace for each other. God took the initiative to bring us peace and unite us in Jesus Christ. Now we can walk united in hope and peace that the world would see our hope and peace that can only come from Him and glorify God. So how is this world going to tangibly see this hope and peace that we now have that can only come through Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace? Over the next two weeks, we will look at how the world can tangibly see our hope and peace. Today, we will look at what it is to walk in joy. I want you to think for a moment and consider what your definition of joy or what your descriptor would be to joy. All right, if you have it, Just hold it there. We're going to come back to it. I want you to think about what it means to have joy or what you think joy is. Let's hear from God's Word and pray. Dear God and Father, so oftentimes we don't live joyfully. We don't pursue joy. Joy that you've given us that comes from you. You've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to live joyfully. God, help us to hear from your word why we should pursue joy, how we should pursue joy together. Help us to take the joy that you've given us and take it to the world around us. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Um, we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. 
So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I want you to go back to your definition of joy. I think for most people, the character joy from inside out stereotypes many people's ideas and beliefs about what joy is supposed to be. If if you remember, joy is one of the five emotions that lives inside the main character, Riley. Joy is lighthearted optimistic, and determined to find fun in every situation. Her only goal is to make and keep Riley happy. And so most people simply equate joy with happiness and positive circumstances. And maybe that's where your mind went. Um, What is joy? Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines joy as a feeling of great happiness. A source or cause of great happiness. The emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Synonyms include blessedness, bliss, happiness, delight, jubilation, rejoice, and triumph. Well, I believe that these definitions and descriptors of joy are a great start, if we're going to actually have our joy completed, if we are going to walk in joy, we must understand what biblical joy is. So what, what is joy? I think it's helpful when we think about joy to look at the Psalms. Psalms 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. 
and your presence. There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. John Piper defines biblical joy, Christian joy, as this. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the word. Let me read that one more time. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. So if we go back to our definitions um, from Merriam-Webster, this idea of a feeling of great happiness or a source of great happiness. About what and whom are we happy? If we're going to have true joy, our happiness has to be in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection made peace. As Christians, we know that there is eternal hope that awaits us. So if we think back to this idea of emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, what is this well-being, success, or good fortune? The idea that we have peace with God. In Christ, we are no longer separated, alienated, stranger, hopeless, and godless. We have been brought near, and we have been made family. And what should our desire be? Jesus, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. So if we take those synonyms and read those synonyms for joy again, blessedness in Jesus, bliss in Jesus, happiness in Jesus, delight in Jesus, jubilate in Jesus, rejoice in Jesus, and triumph in Jesus. In Jesus. This isn't joy in circumstances. This is not joy when things are going good. This isn't joy in stuff that we have. It's not even joy in our human relationships. This is gospel based joy. Joy in Jesus. Only those who trust in Christ can know this kind of joy. So, church, routinely and faithfully walk in joy that is given to each of us through the peace provided by the reconciliation achieved by the sacrificial death and atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Routinely and faithfully walk in joy. So why should we routinely and faithfully walk in joy? If we go back to our passage in Philippians, Paul is going to give us four motivations or encouragements for why the church should routinely and faithfully walk in joy. And in light of these four things, he says, make my joy complete or complete my joy. Let's take a look at them. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1 So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. It might be easier for our English-speaking minds to remove that so if and put the word since. This so if has the idea 
that if it happens, and it has happened, it has been completed. So if we change that to since, and the fact is, in Christ, you have all four of these truths. So since there is encouragement in Christ, since there's comfort from love, since we have participation in the Spirit, since we have affection and sympathy, complete my joy. That first, that first encouragement, encouragement in Christ, since we have encouragement because of our union with Christ, complete my joy. Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection made peace. God took the initiative to bring us peace and unite us in Jesus Christ. Now we could walk united and in hope and peace. This idea of union with Christ is a beautiful concept that could take sermons and sermons to go through. I would encourage you, if you're looking for a, a, a book to read, um, Rankin Wilborn has a book called Union with Christ. It's a, it's a great resource that talks more about this union with Christ. So since we have this union with Christ, complete my joy. Second thing, since we have comfort from the love of God in Christ, this comfort from love, it's not just any love, it's love from God in Christ. We have an eternal comfort and hope from the love of God in Christ. This is that love that God talks about, about who we were in Romans chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 2. And it says, but now we're not those things. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the comfort from the love of God that God sent his only son into the world to live a perfect sinless life, die a sacrificial death, and raise victorious, that we now can celebrate Advent that he's coming again for the church. In Christ, we are no longer hopeless and godless, but we are family and we have that eternal hope that he is coming again. Thirdly, we see that we have a shared fellowship created by the Holy Spirit. Since we have that shared fellowship, He wants our joy to be complete. In Christ, we are united into one body, the church. We belong. We are made family. Jesus left us with His Holy Spirit to empower us, to encourage us, and to unite us. So walk in joy. And lastly, the last encouragement he gives us is that since we are continually encountering the grace and mercy given to us in Christ, complete my joy. In Christ, God's grace and mercy is faithfully new to us every morning. Just think about all the ways that God has blessed you in all of life's circumstances, even the ones that you deemed bad at the time. Paul has showed us four motivations or encouragements for why the church should routinely and faithfully walk in joy. He showed us that we have a union with Christ. We have a love from God in Christ. We have 
a fellowship with one another. We have been united in one body and given His Holy Spirit to empower and encourage us to unity. And we are daily and continually reminded of His grace and mercy for us. So we should walk in joy. We know why we are to walk in joy. But how many times do we, on a daily basis, not walk in joy? We know these four things And Paul knew that the Philippians knew those four things. But the beauty of it is he didn't just say walk in joy. He gave them encouragement. It's like that skit, you know, wants them to stop doing something. And he says, just stop it. He doesn't say just walk in joy. He gives them reasons. He preaches the gospel to them to encourage them to walk in joy. And so we need to daily preach to ourselves these four gospel-based motivations to walk in joy. We know why we are to walk in joy. Church, how are we going to routinely and faithfully walk in joy? Paul doesn't just give them four motivations of why they should walk in joy. He tells them how they are to walk in this joy. He gives them three things to pursue in order in order to show the church how we should routinely and faithfully walk in joy. We find these in verses 2 through 4. Complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interests of others. The first thing that he tells us to pursue in verse number two is to pursue unity. If we are going to have our joy complete as Christians in the church, we must pursue unity. Verse number two, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He is calling us to pursue unity. Unity in the same mind, same love, and same purpose. So what is this mind, love, and purpose? It's the mind, love, and purpose of Jesus Christ who the church has been united in. This is not an agreement on favorite color, favorite coffee shop, favorite food, favorite politics, whatever your favorite thing. This is gospel unity. Having the same mind, love, and purpose of Jesus Christ that Paul is calling us to pursue. This is the unity that Paul calls out in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the unity that Paul is pleading for, that we be of the same mind, same love, same purpose together as the church 
that Jesus Christ is. This is the same unity that Jesus Christ himself prays for in John chapter 17. In verse 20, it says, I do not ask for these only, but only for those who will believe, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So Paul's given them this reason for unity. We see the importance of unity. So why does he need to tell them to pursue unity? Sin. While we have been saved from the effects of sin, sin still dwells within us. And we don't cultivate, maintain, and fight for unity because we are more about our own interest than the mind, love, and purpose of Jesus Christ, which robs us of the joy that he's calling them to complete and pursue. Secondly, he not only calls them to pursue unity, he calls them to pursue humility. In verse number 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. He is calling them to pursue humility. He's calling us to pursue humility. If we're ever going to experience the unity and the joy that we've talked about, we must routinely and faithfully pursue humility. And why do we need to be reminded to pursue humility? Sin. The sin of pride. Every person, no matter how humble they are, suffers from the sin of pride. John Stott writes, In every aspect of the Christian life, pride is our greatest foe, and humility our greatest ally. Jerry Bridges, on discovering the danger of the secretness of pride in people's life, writes, One of the problems with pride is that we see it in others, but not in ourselves. And so pride is dangerous to the individual Christian and the church as a whole, because pride keeps us from being humble. So how do we pursue humility and fight against this pride? I think we could list lots of things from the Bible, but I think the main thing and the thing I want to focus on is reflect on the cross. In order for us to pursue humility and fight against pride, we must reflect on the cross. This is why Jesus told his disciples to take up their cross daily and follow him. Gospel humility only comes at the foot of the cross. Staying by the cross is our greatest weapon to fight against pride. It is at the cross that I can truly learn to see the greatness of my sin 
in the greatness of God's grace and mercy. So God, Paul here in this verse is telling us if we're going to have our joy complete, we must pursue unity, we must pursue humility, and lastly we see we must pursue love. In verse number 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He is calling us to pursue love. If we're going to experience unity, if we're going to experience joy, we're going to experience humility, we must routinely and faithfully pursue love. And why does he tell us to pursue love? Sin. The sin of selfishness. We want what's best for us. If, we're gonna tr- if you are truly humble, you are going to be helpful. You are going to lovingly, going to seek the best for others. You are going to love your neighbor as yourself. John chapter 13, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John Piper describes this biblical love as love is the overflow and expansion of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. So this love is this expansion of our joy that we find in God which gladly reaches out to meet the needs of others. Love sets aside our personal checklist, our to-do list to serve other individuals and the church as a whole. We realize that we are servants of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I fail at this miserably. And it's a daily need to remind myself of the gospel and the truth to walk in it. The good news is we can't pursue this unity, humility, and love that we've talked about on our own. But we can pursue it in Jesus Christ. He's given us his Holy Spirit to to walk with us and in us to pursue this humility, unity, and love. And together as the church, we can pursue it. J. Lincoln Duncan writes, The key to a pursuit of this joy, the key to a life of true joy, joy in Christ, is God-centered, gospel-based, grace-enabled, shifting of our attention away from ourselves and on to others. So if We're not good at this, and we daily have to remind ourselves, who are we going to look to? And and the answer is the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul in this passage doesn't leave us wondering He gives us the only true example to pursue humility, unity, and love so we can routinely and faithfully walk in joy. And it is Jesus. 
Verse number 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind. He has made it possible for you to pursue unity, humility, and love so that we can routinely and faithfully walk in joy. And who are we to look to? Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So how far does humility go? How far does this unity go? How far does this love go? It goes to us taking up our cross daily, dying to the point of death, even death on a cross. So church, we can We can routinely and faithfully walk in joy by daily preaching the gospel to ourselves. We must preach it to ourselves and to each other. Pursuing unity, humility, and love and looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray.